We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always, my co-host, Nick Pilato. It's been a while since we did the Big Blue Banter podcast. Nick has been traveling the country or more specifically just going Arizona, New Jersey to see his family. I got a chance to see him as well at the annual Tourney Central. Um, for those of you listening in the Morristown area, you're invited to the next Tourney Central. Let me know. First Friday of every March Madness, you are welcome to come and hang out, drink, and eat, and be merry, as Dave Matthews Band once said. Uh, not a huge Dave Matthews fan anymore. As a kid, I liked them. I think every Jewish kid who ever went to summer camp was indoctrinated with Dave Matthews Band. My brother makes fun of me, but I do think they do have some decent jams. Let me just say that. For those of you who make fun of me, I get it. Dave is kind of corny, but if you listen to some of their jams, especially their live stuff, there's some pretty good instrumentals there. So that's a little Dave Matthews band line. Crash and Satellite. Those are some good songs. There's another one, too. Those I are think more Dave-centric ones, though. I'm talking about okay. like jam. Me and you have different – and I like those songs, by the way. Don't get me wrong. Those are good songs, yeah. though. You know, people make fun of you for them and Crush and all these other, like, you know, those types care. of songs. Yeah, but you know what? <laughs> it's good. I don't care either. Um, but anyway, we're here to talk some Giants football. We've got a lot of news to catch up on, so we're just going to get right into this thing and start talking Giants news. We'll start with probably the most interesting one just because it was another non-re-signed player. And I want to start by saying this, though, actually, Nick. What do you think of this stat before we get into all this? Because I think by this point, those who are listening now are caught up on the Giants news, but they're interested or they're listening because they're interested in hearing our opinion on it. Hopefully that's the case, at least. Uh, so we'll get into all that. But I want to start by throwing out this stat and get your take on it, Nick. According to Dan, uh, not according to Dan Duggan, I think this was like Albert Breer, but Duggan retweeted and talked about it. The Giants spent more money than any team in free agency this offseason. Honestly, that makes plenty of sense, Dan, because they had two faces of their franchise coming back and they brought them both back. Yeah, and one was obviously on the franchise tag, but that means that this was a, you know, this was a big swing offseason for the Giants. They're putting their chips on the table. They've invested a lot. Some of these guys have dead cat or sorry, guaranteed money that runs through future years. Daniel Jones, Bobby O'Karake, uh, Darius Slayton, even. So this is big They're, These guys are going to have to hit. And one of them we're going to talk about now who actually isn't part of the team's future for sure, but signed a one year prove it deal that I'm really excited about is wide receiver Paris Campbell. When free agency started, Nick, this was the wide receiver. I wanted the Giants to target because I thought looking at the market. There was nothing to be had on a long-term deal with any good player, with any player. I didn't like Jacoby Myers. I didn't like Juju Smith-Schuster. And so I looked for value. I looked for upside. I looked for different reasons to find a player that could hit here in a new home with a new scenario. And Paris Campbell, 4-3 speed coming out of college. I don't think he's still a 4-3 athlete. But last season, he did reach a top speed that was top 10 among wide receivers. So he might still have that. Has changed direction skills. Can't play the slot. Tougher player made a contested catch against the Giants. Actually, that was really impressive to me. He signs a one-year deal, one point five million signing bonus, one point four million base salary. That's fully guaranteed. Hundred thousand workout bonus, hundred k for each game active. That'll get up to one point seven million in total. Incentives that go up to one point nine million. Two hundred k for every level hit. Four, six, and eight receiving touchdowns. Two hundred k a pop. 55, 65, 75 receptions, 200K a pop, 700, 800, 900 receiving yards, and 100K extra bonus if he leads the team in any of the following categories. Receptions, receiving yards, or receiving TDs. I assume, Nick, this is the guy they're bringing in to play the Richie James role. That's what I'm hoping. And honestly, dude, when you watch his tape, and he's played through a couple different offenses with a couple different positional coaches, one being Mike Groh, which was one reason why I felt like the Giants would at least at least explore this option, Mike Groh being the New York Giants wide receiver coaches. Just get the football in this guy's hands. 
The Colts offense sucked last year, <laughs> but it did also play into Paris Campbell's to Paris Campbell's benefit to the fact that they couldn't pass the ball vertically, which sucked for Paris Campbell, but it was just like, Hey, let's just get him screens and have him make plays getting the football into space. And I felt like he did a solid enough job in that area of the field on these quick curls. I just feel like he's a smart player, a tough player, not the easiest guy to bring down, not the easiest guy to catch. And we haven't really even experienced his vertical ability yet. And this is where I feel like the Giants might have won because Sam Ellinger and Matt Ryan couldn't really push the ball down the field all that well with the Indianapolis Colts and that shitty-ass offensive line that they have. Now maybe, I know Daniel Jones didn't do it that much. I know the 2022 Giants did not throw the ball vertically, but I think Paris Campbell can add that element to this offense. We just haven't necessarily seen it yet. He's one of, like you said, he clocked in top 10. I have his mile per hour I found somewhere. It was over 22 miles per hour. That's fast for a wide receiver. In so this guy, by the way. In 2022. Yes, post Achilles. This was a 4-3-1 athlete who had over 90 percentile in the 40 vert broad 20-yard shuttle. He's not the biggest guy, but I do think we have some unrealized potential in terms of his ability to attack defenses vertically. We just haven't seen it because of the injuries and because of the crappy-ass Colts last year. I think that's a great point, Nick. I haven't even really considered it all that much. Does he bring a level of verticality to the Giants offense they don't previously had or that they didn't previously have. And I think the answer is yes. If you're comparing him to Richie James, who's kind of seems to be the one for one replacement that we're making here with James to Campbell. James was a, was a much better player than people realized last year. Just cause I mean, I feel like every Giants fan was just so down on the receiver core because they don't watch like 32 out 31 other teams. They don't realize how bad some of these other receivers are, but he wasn't a vertical element at any point i mean he had that one route against philly where he could have caught the pass and like would have been like an 80 yard touchdown but it wasn't a vert it wasn't like a slot don't bring that, don't bring don't bring that play <laughs> yeah. up that play well, is like, devastating yeah, even, i don't even care up. about that play the Giants were down like 28 at that time no, like, nick filato cares about that play it's, it's a dfs thing like i oh. i yeah i can't believe you just randomly brought that out of the blue dan like i had put that in the back of my mind like we're talking yeah. Huge money that I probably lost on oh, Richie James no. dropping that ball. And I will try to remain objective about the impact that Richie James had on the 2022 Giants, but there will always be a sour point because <laughs> that non-catch right there, Dan, cost me probably thousands of what and I And I think it probably there. weighed heavily. That sucks, first of all. Um, that's crazy because I know what you mean. In those like one-off slates, if you have one player makes a bit like an 80-yard catch for someone could like change and a whole slate. And Dan, you know how I am with this, like no emotion. I just watch it and I just like, I just take it. I, I, I don't like, I don't, there's no emotion that shown. It's you just expect like, it at this point. That's why you've lost the emotional yes. factor in it. There's um, no emotion. I'm very emotional in those situations, but I also, <laughs> I also don't expect them, I guess as much, but I think you bring up a good point. I mean, I, we don't want to harp on it too much for your sake, but <laughs> taking that out of the equation, Maybe it did stick on the Giants' mind that he made that drop in that game. I know the game was over at that point for like all intents and purposes. The Giants were behind multiple scores, but it still is a big play in a big moment in the sense that it's a playoff game. The week before against Minnesota, what happened? Another big time drop from Richie James. That was the first, second Minnesota game. That was right? the first match. That was the first matchup. Okay, even so, let's just throw it back like six weeks before that, six games before that. Another massive drop that could have changed the game. And so I think that did probably stick in their mind when they made the decision to not re-sign Richie James because they could have got him cheaper than Campbell and to try to upgrade with a player like Paris Campbell. I think the Richie James longevity on this roster was thrown away after the Seattle game. And he just knew the offense. He's a smart receiver. But the reason the Giants signed Richie James wasn't to play wide receiver. It was to be the punt returner. And he fumbled it twice against Seattle. And it could have cost the Giants the win, albeit the offense played like absolute crap in that game as well. So I think that was probably the, the ending point for Richie James. But I think Paris Campbell, if he could stay healthy, big hip. But Paris Campbell has so much more potential than a wide receiver like Richie James does. And I think a good point that you made is the fact that he did hit that mile per hour mark last year shows that the top end speed is still there, still capable. Even after an Achilles injury, it used to be a situation where Athletes would suffer this Achilles injury in football, and they'd be done. Jimmy Graham was never the same player. Then new examples came along. Emmanuel Sanders came back from Achilles in one year and looked phenomenal in that Super Bowl run with the 49ers, even got open on that play that Jimmy just missed him on. And I don't. I hope that one doesn't bring back bad DFS memories. It doesn't even look like it did. But nowadays, people are coming back from the Achilles. So I don't know if he's the same athlete that, came, that hit the combine that day. 
Because I mean, look, if you put on his Ohio State tape and you combined it with those those testing numbers, four three one speed, change direction, skills through the roof, jumping like crazy in the vert and the broad, you that's why the Colts at the time were like, dude, we're getting like a star in the making in this kind of pick. He hasn't lived up to that hype, but like you said, there's a lot of factors there. The injuries, which he now seems to be over, at least for now, bad quarterback play, which was consistent throughout his career with the Colts. And also potentially maybe not the right system fit. I feel like these types of guys are really good fits for the Giants system. That's the other main factor here. You know what they, we know what the Giants want from receivers in the system. We want, they want receivers who can create separation. They don't really care about the size as long as they can create separation. And I think with the choice routes in this offense and with what we saw last season from the slot with Richie James, Campbell can be that guy right away and he can provide a major upgrade right away over Richie James. So this is to me, the second upgrade they made to the offense from last season. I would agree. I think it is the second upgrade that they made along with Darren Waller. And they've also retained wide receivers from last year. And I wanted to ask you this before this nice segue into Darius Slayton. Did you expect them at all to go into the Darius Slayton market and bring him back after they went out and brought in Darren Waller and after they signed Paris Campbell. Cause I was a little, I don't want to say shocked, but I was a little surprised when I saw that they re-signed Darius Slayton after making those moves. So I wasn't all that surprised personally. And I know, you know, me and Darius Slayton have our, have <laughs> this, is, some people might find this surprising considering one time Darius Slayton quote tweeted me and was like, this guy's an idiot. When I was talking about like why you don't pay <laughs> running backs on the second contracts, none of that impacts me at all. In my evaluation of the Giants players, I try to stay objective and remain objective in that sense. And you know me, Nick, I've always felt like Darius Slayton was a much better player on film than people realize. And the Giants fans realize for the most part. And because a lot of people like to put too much weight on drops. And I understand drop passes are bad. They've come in some big moments. They're worth something to me. They're not worth nothing, but they're also not everything to me. And I feel like the weight on them from fans is too heavy. We need to weight things responsibly and fairly. And what I've learned is a player like Darius Slayton, Nick, had a market, right? It wasn't like he was just sitting in free agency like Paris Campbell and he had to sign a one-year prove deal. He said, I had multiple offers from other teams, and I believe that because other teams are watching the tape. They're watching a separation on the horizontal plane. They're watching separation on the vertical plane. They're saying there are not that many wide receivers in the NFL who separate like this. The dude averaged almost 16 yards per catch last season in an offense that didn't have any weapons to take it to take away attention from him. He was essentially number one focus of that offense. He won't be this year with Darren Waller in the mix, which I think will really help Darius Slayton, by the way, in his chances of getting over open more often, but he was a much better player on tape than I think people realize. So I wasn't surprised where the Giants went into this offseason, Nick, and there were multiple guys they needed to resign. We knew Daniel Jones. That was the obvious one. They weren't letting him go. They made it clear the first time. Saquon Barkley, I wasn't so sure on. They gave him the tag. That's a good compromise for now. And by the way, they played that market perfect because you've seen since the running back market's completely depressed. It's horrible. If they had given him the 15 or $16 million per year deal, everyone would be lambasting Joe Shane right now and saying how bad of a job he did. And they would be right. Instead, he did the good job, the tough job, the hard job to not give him that multi-year deal at 16 million. Let the market play itself out. See these Sanders deals, see all these other crappy running back deals and say, look, This is what the market is. You're not going to get what you expected. But that one was expected, too, to some degree, Barkley. But after that, they really didn't bring back all the guys you would expect, right? Like some people would say, if you went into this offseason, Nick, Julian Love or Darius Slayton, which one would the Giants resign? People would slam the table immediately and say Julian Love. And for the same contract, essentially, they decided to sign Slayton over Love. I was a little surprised by that. I thought they would go Love in that direction. But look, I think I said it a couple weeks ago on the podcast. Went back and watched a lot of Giants 2022 film a couple weeks after the season. Darius Slayton was essentially all their explosive plays, not named Saquon Barkley or Daniel Jones's legs. He was vital to that offense. And they still want to create explosive plays. And I get it. He might not be the true number one, but now with Waller, with the rest of these wide receivers, Paris Campbell, whoever else they bring in, Isaiah Hodgins, what have you. I think Darius Slayton's going to still be that star track type of wide receiver. What I mean by that is, hey, Darius Slayton, go run a go, stretch, stretch defense, stretch the defense. And by the way, he only ran 21 miles per hour, so he didn't yeah. crack 20. Now, but that he's good at those go balls, right? He's good at those go balls. He's good in those one-on-one contested catch situations. It's just the frustrating drops. I'm okay with this deal. I am. I thought it was a little bit much, but I think you're right. I think it was. There was a market for Darius Slayton. He also said said as much in his press conference, and I think he does add an 
valuable element to this team. And he's one of these core players. And just listening to him gush about Daniel Jones also somewhat motivated me too. I was like, dude, man, this guy really loves being a New York Giant. He really loves this teammate. And I feel like having Daniel Jones with another fellow 2019 rookie, there's value in that. And he's also a good football player. So Giants don't have that true number one wide receiver right now. But they got Darren Waller. And he can act as that true number one receiving threat. And you have a lot of good complimentary pieces around Waller. Yeah, you nailed it. And one thing that they obviously put a big, you know, uh, I'm trying to look for the word, like a big um, focus on is finding and creating and maintaining speed on this offense. You mentioned Darius Slayton, who topped out at nearly 22 miles per hour. We talked about Paris Campbell, who did, who topped out above 22. Darren Waller was on the list. as like the fastest tight end at one point last year. They have now three guys on this team in Slayton, Waller, and Campbell who can run out there, who can get to top speeds. And I think for now, finally, we can look at this Giants offense, no matter what they do in the draft, and say they're not deficient from a speed standpoint at wide receiver. And at least not in my opinion with Campbell Slayton and Waller, who I'm just consider, considering at this point a weapon. So that doesn't surprise me. I also think that look, Slayton did things right in a lot of ways for the giants, right? He took a pay cut last year. People seem to, you know, no one's were men was mentioning this, but this dude was asked to take a pay cut on a rookie contract. You never see that a fourth round rookie contract or whatever. It was a fifth or fourth round. I'm forgetting now fifth round, a fifth yeah. round rookie contract for Slayton asked to take a pay cut, which you never see. He takes it. He takes it anyway and stays with the team. Says, look, I wasn't myself last year. I wasn't playing my best. And he was rewarded for that because last year he was actually playing really well. I don't care what fans said. He was one of the only reasons the Giants scored points. Like you said, you went back, you watched the tape, Nick. What did Nick find out? Nick found out that only explosive plays the Giants had were Barkley and Slade. And you said Jones, too. Jones had like, what, one or two explosive runs? Yeah, I don't think two. he had too many, too. Maybe so it was really two. just Slate and, and Barkley creating all of the offense last year and scheme and coaching. And I guess Daniel Jones to some extent as well when he was improvising on the run as a thrower and 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 – and on the run as a runner. I don't want to say I guess because it's definitely true. But you need those athletes, those explosive athletes like Slayton, now Campbell, Waller, and Barkley to give yourself a chance to actually get explosive plays. And you absolutely nailed it too when you discussed how he took that pay cut. I'm telling you, everything that Joe Shane and Brian Dable have preached since they've arrived here in New York, it says we're going to reward players who do everything the right way. Darius Slayton was written off, Dan. He was running with the third team in training camp. He was absolutely done. He didn't have a catch until the Chicago game after the Sterling Shepard injury. They didn't even want to put him out there early, but he did the right thing. He kept his head to the grindstone. He worked his ass off and he earned snaps. And some of that came because of injury. I get that. But once he got out there, he produced and he was reliable for Daniel Jones. And yes, he's going to drop the football every now and again, but he was still a reliable asset for that offense. And there was no ill will. Like He was rewarded by Joe Shane and Brian Dable, and I'm happy for him. Yeah, he deserves it, in my opinion, and I'm happy for him, too. It's a two-year, $12 million contract, includes a three uh, $3.5 million signing bonus, $4.9 million guaranteed, AAV of $6 million. Look, when you see the Jacoby Myers deal, I'm happy, because personally, I would rather have Darius Slayton and Jacoby Myers straight up, but Jacoby Myers is also a more expensive receiver than Darius Slayton. To me, again, I just have different opinion on Darius Slayton than most. I know the things he doesn't do well, hands, catches, and contested catch situation, though he does have some really good contested catches in his career. I think the bigger issue is probably body control in the air and like understanding where to be in the air, as we saw in that one catch. I think it was against the Eagles or not the Eagles. It was um Washington, the first Washington game. But overall, the things he does do well shine more for me. It's kind of wild, too, because go back to 2019. Body control and adjustment to the football was some of the traits that I was like, yeah. dude, this guy's unique in this manner for a day three, fifth round pick. Yeah, I don't think those things have progressed as well, unfortunately. But, and again, we're, I'm not here to say they're signing some guy who's going to be a wide receiver one, right? We know what he is. He's a guy who had speed element to the offense at six mil a year and create and can create explosive plays on his own. People talk about, you know, one of the games the Giants won this year, by the way, you know, a lot of the games were Saquon Barkley, a lot of the games were Daniel Jones is the deciding factor. That Houston Texans game, the Giants almost lost that game, which would have screwed their season up. They didn't lose that game because Darius Slayton turned a pass around the line of scrimmage into a 55-yard touchdown that he caught literally around the line of scrimmage by outrunning the defense, including a safety who had an angle on him, but his top-end speed and acceleration and second gear outran that safety to the sideline on, a, again, a pass around the line of scrimmage. We also never talk about, when we talk about Darius Slayton, the four, five, six, seven plays on film where he got open vertically on a double move and the ball didn't come his way. The ball comes his way on those plays, Nick. That's another 400 or 500 yards of receiving added to his total, 
Now his yards per catch is up to like 18, 17 in the elite range. And he adds another three, four, five, six touchdowns to the mix as well. No one ever talks about those, but those plays are on tape. We put them all on there. You can check our YouTube page and find any of them. You can also check the our, either of our Twitters because I think both Nick and I tweeted about them at all times. Seattle game, multiple games. You can just go back and look. See uh, Eagles game, Minnesota game. Those are just three that come to mind right away. So if those can start to formulate, right, if those double moves that he makes to get open on those vertical routes with now the defense focusing their attention on Darren Waller and Saquon Barkley and maybe Paris Campbell's having a good game in the slot. Now Darius Slayton's one-on-one in the outside. Jones actually sees it this time. He throws it. He gets the ball out there. It's caught. Now we have a 60-yard touchdown. And you also have those long plays down the sideline, the one to open the Jacksonville game, right? That was a touchdown. He had one against Dallas where he got tackled at like the one yard line where he jumped over like double coverage and made that catch. Like those are very impressive plays. I also think another thing that's important about Slayton, not just the familiarity with Brian Dable, Mike Kafka's offense, which is important, but the fact that this coaching staff trusts him to handle multiple roles. He played in the slot a decent amount. He had like a 30% slot a slot rate or something, maybe a little bit less, but he played in the slot a lot last year. He played outside. He was a lone receiver on the backside of three by one sets. He would play the number three. He's a very interchangeable piece who understands how to operate in this offense. And that's obviously something that's very important. Understanding how to operate in his offense is another added bonus here with the Slayton signing. And another one is familiarity and rapport with Daniel Jones, the quarterback, right? They bring in Paris Campbell. Paris Campbell said, I'm already talking about going to Arizona and Daniel Jones. Like, when are you going? I want to come train with you. That's awesome. We love to hear that. But they're starting that report from scratch, Daniel Jones and Paris Campbell. Any wide receiver the Giants traded for or brought in free agency would have to start that report from scratch. Instead, with Darius Slayton, that's a four-year report. Jones, like he said last year, I remember when Slayton and James and those other receivers, Hodgins, were talking about how they've really evolved their game with Daniel Jones, specifically on the scramble plays, the plays where Jones breaks the pocket and starts to look around and now keeps his eyes downfield and gets rid of the football. We saw it a lot in the red zone. And Slayton said, all of us receivers, we have a plan. So that's great. And someone like Paris Campbell or Darren Waller can tell Daniel Jones their plan. But Daniel Jones needs to get on the same page as them and understand their plan. And so it's clicks like that. And so it's not something that either of them thinks about. With Slayton, there's no thinking. They know exactly what they want to do on those scramble plays. Jones knows exactly what he likes in all different routes and combinations. And that's a huge bonus, too, as we're trying to win now and try to get this offense moving forward. The fact that Daniel Jones and Slayton already have a rapport. You would have lost that with any other receiver the Giants signed, opted to sign over Slayton. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're absolutely right. And the fact that it was a depressed wide receiver market as we brought up. But I wanted to ask you this. We don't have to dovetail too far into this, Dan, because I don't think these moves preclude the Giants from taking a wide receiver at 25. But I do think it might suggest just with all of these other, and this could be a whole podcast, by the way, but I think with all these moves that we've seen in free agency, it really does kind of point towards cornerback and maybe some of the other positions more so than wide receiver. What are your thoughts on that? Um, as far as, are you asking for the first round pick or just in general? Just, just at 25. That's all I'm just at 25. I think more, more likely than not, it doesn't uh, take them out of the wide receiver market at 25, because if you look at all these deals and you made mention of this, uh, so obviously you noted it, none of them are really long-term with the exception of sort of the Waller and sort of the Slayton, right? Like the Slayton one's kind of, it's a two-year deal and there's some guaranteed money, but most of that will be paid off this year. The Waller one, which we'll get to in a moment, they restructured. So there's more debt, uh, guarantee money pushed back. So those are like guarantee. So, but really all that means is they're on the roster for two years, those two. And then Campbell's a one-year deal. So anyone they draft would be the only long-term play they actually have at wide we receiver. We also have Wandale too. And Wandale. 
Right. Yeah. So anyone they draft would be them and Wando would be the only real long-term plays at wide receiver and potentially Hodgins, depending on, but that's not even, they're not committed long-term. They expect him to be there long-term. I know you and I do. We're big fans of his, but they're not committed there. So only committed long-term to Wandale and to, uh, and that's just based on draft capital. The contract isn't heavy, but when you invest that kind of draft capital, 45th overall, 44th overall, you're committed. And then whoever they would draft at 25. So I don't think it takes them out of the market. I think they're still more likely to take a wide receiver than a linebacker, than an offensive lineman, than a defensive end, um, and then a safety, because I don't think there's any safeties really worth it. Because I still think Joe Shane values those positions so much more highly and more importantly, values when to get them. Like when he's using those high capital picks, like a first round pick, he wants the players that are going to, if they hit the market, they cost a, a zillion dollars. That's what he even mentioned last year. He's like, corner, you want to sign a great corner. It costs 20 plus million. Receiver, you want to sign a great receiver, 25 plus million. Quarterback, it costs 40, 50 plus million. So those are the positions that I think he's going to still take with his vi uh, high premium picks. I'm right there with you. My one, the reason why I bring this up, I guess I should say, is when you look at the Giants depth chart right now, it's like, who is playing cornerback next to a Dory Jackson, who is an injury prone corner. And we know that this draft class, theoretically, there should be maybe three really talented cornerbacks. So we'll probably peak our interest sitting there at 25, you know, the Christian Gonzalez of the world, the Joey Porters of the world, they might be off the board. So it's just sometimes, you know, you look at moves in free agency and you're like, they're just really kind of laying the foundation for what this team will end up doing in the draft. And I just don't see a wink Martindale coach defense going into the season with this type of dearth of talent at the cornerback position when they could realistically get a starter on day one at 25. And corner fits in the billing of the premium positions that they want to take in the first round. Yeah. So I still think it's most likely going to be a corner with the first round pick. I said two months ago, 95% chance it's a corner receiver. Those percentages remain the same for me, just based on the premium value positions and who's going to be there based on how I expect the board to fall. But now I would say if the split before was like 45, 45, I would say it's probably 65 corner, 60% corner, something like that over, um, wide receiver and i just gave a percentage that didn't add to up to 100 so that made no sense but i think there's a better chance they take a corner there than a receiver there um but i will say this as far as the draft goes and i know you're on the same page with me but it's something that i'm just going to keep bringing up until it's a consensus among giants fans because it's just totally unfortunately the opposite I, I see some fans like we've got all these receivers in free agency we got a linebacker now we move forward to draft a center with that first pick you can't just draft positions. It's insane to me that people are still on this thing. Like, and then I see some people that I really respect. I'm not trying to bring up any names or, or, or discount them at all because they, they may feel that the value will be there, but they're like, they don't take a center around when they got to take one in round two. No, that's not how this works. This is not about filling needs on a checklist for 2023. This is about finding the right player. First and foremost, there's, a million draft plus year to year. The only ones we can count on are the blue chips. Even the blue chips don't always work out. That's the craziest part. The blue chip players, there's about 14 to 15 in every class. Those don't even work out every year. So if you're at pick 57 or whatever it is, you can't just be like, now it's time to take a center. We filled out this in free agency. We got that. Now we do a center. We did a corner. No, that's not how it works. You need to draft the best player. The Giants are not in any kind of position to just be drafting by need. No team really is ever, in my opinion, I would make the case to be doing it in that position. I think it's how the bad teams formulate. The good teams, the ones that just keep taking best player, with the exception of obviously running back. You need to like factor in positional value to some extent, but you don't yeah. you don't want to overlook who's actually the best player you believe in just because you're trying to go but down a checklist and hit every need. So I know there's some talk about center at 25. I'm completely out. I'm just going to say it right now, Nick. I am, and we'll talk about the center position in a second because John Feliciano, that's the news we got to get to. But and we could we can even talk about that right now, but man, I am so out on center at 25. I have zero percent interest. And thankfully for me, I'm very confident Joe Shane will not take any of these centers at 25. I have not watched many of the centers. I like John Michael Schmitz. I think I will like a lot of cornerbacks better than John Michael Schmitz at around that point. And I do think the positional value is very important. So I'd probably wouldn't lean in that direction. I don't think I'd freak out if they went in that direction, but I still got some more tape to watch. And I haven't really seen many of these, these like day three centers. I don't know how much I like them. I've watched a little bit of Joe Tipman. He interests me maybe somewhere on day two, but the overall thesis of what you're talking about is just hundred percent accurate, man. Like you don't pigeonhole into a position, right? Like when I bring up, you should possibly select cornerback. It's only because there are several cornerbacks who will be available and the cornerback draft class at the top is very, 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 I would say good. 
like better than usual to where there could be six cornerbacks drafted in the first round. But even if the Giants don't go in that direction, which doesn't really make sense because we know, I mean, I think Sauce Gardner would have been a Giant if the Jets didn't select him. We know Wink Martindale needs cornerbacks. He said as much when his first like two weeks with the New York Giants, he's like, need cornerbacks, can't get DoorDash guys. So we know that's really pivotal and crucial to this defensive's success. But if they didn't go in that direction, I would attempt to trust them and just be like, they must really feel good about Aaron Robinson's recovery or Cordell fly or the guy they just signed who will go over here in a little bit. But yeah, you can't just be like, Hey, we don't have a center. Let's just draft the center. Even though we like this guy over here so much better. Yeah, exactly. And that goes for every position. It's not just center and every round. If the giants come out of this draft without taking a center and they only have like what they have on the roster, they could still sign a veteran guy that'll help you for 2023, right? They signed Feliciano for basically nothing last offseason. Feliciano, just a spoiler here. I know you guys are all caught up on the news. He signed with the 49ers, which is an interesting signing because it's Kyle Shanahan, and that's a zone-blocking scheme. Um, so I'm curious to see what he saw on the film from Feliciano. And I know I, uh, David Syverson, who I talked to a little bit, um, he's been on the show multiple times. We're going to have him on again for sure draft season. He talked about how when he looks at this center class, he doesn't think any of them are worth it either. He's with me at 25, but he also thinks that none of them were as good as Feliciano was on the move for some of those power gap concepts the Giants like to run. So I thought that was really interesting point by him because it's something he noticed just from his evaluation. I know Tipman is a guy I like out of Wisconsin for his movement skills, but he felt like uh, just watching him and all the rest of this class, Feliciano is actually better for what the Giants run schematically in their run game, specifically on the move. So that was just something interesting to me, especially when he goes to a Kyle Shanahan zone-based scheme. It's zone based, but they run power concepts. Yeah, they run a lot. They're very, they're very diverse. But the thing about John Feliciano that I noted when he came over from the Bills was how I, I would say effective he was out on the on the move. Man, he gets out of his stance really quickly. I would say there were a couple of times where Saquon Barkley exercised. I would say. <laughs> excellent freaking patience to allow Feliciano to get out to the block to set it up for Saquon Barkley. I think he maybe was losing a couple steps there towards the end of the season, but still, um, I would have to watch a lot of those other guys to, to contend that point if I were to contend it. And that's fair too. I just, again, looking at the center position, I know it's dire for the Giants right now, but they can still sign guys in free agency that are going to be around after the draft or leading up to the draft. And I'm not so sure they'll have much of a drop-off from Feliciano or you let Ben Bredesen or someone like that take over the role going into the season. You see if he can ride it out. I just, look, I would love a center too, trust me. But I have don't think any of these guys are, are top 50 picks including John Michael Schmitz. I don't need, maybe he, I, I'm sure he's the best center because he has the highest floor. I think he could be a solid starter in the NFL, but I don't, I don't watch him and think this is a guy who's, who's going to be, you know, a all pro player or a pro bowl player. I think he's going to be like potentially like a solid seven to 10 year starter type guy. That's not any at all. What I want at 25 overall at a position. That's not, a, you know, a high position of value. That doesn't even come close to striking me as interesting. Uh, I know what you're I know what you're saying, but it's also yeah. substantially better than what the Giants have had. Like right. I would sign up for a seven to ten year starter any day of the week yeah, for right. the seven to ten year solid starter. But the question is where can you get the, the, the and that's where the positional value factor comes exactly. in mind. And that's why Joe Shane is such a stressor of it. And I believe him on it because he might believe, and a lot of GMs believe, you can find a seven to ten year starter at center all throughout the draft, day two, day three. Um a lot of people are found Jason Kelsey found on day three, one of the best centers in NFL history out of nowhere. I'd rather take a gamble on an undersized center who's athletic on day three or an undersized center who's athletic and plays at a small school on day three. than just a guy like John Michael Schmitz, who I don't even know necessarily if he really looks the part like to me, like I, I think he's a good player. I think he, if he was there at 57, I'd be happy with the Giants taking him. He'll probably be on my top five wish list at 57. He is not anywhere near my wish list at 25, though. I think he is probably one of the 50 to 55th five best players in this class, not 20 to 25. Yeah, I would, again, I have to watch a little bit more film to to make that. But I liked, I felt like he can move when, when I watched John Michael Schmitz. I felt like he can get out there. He does yeah. have some range. I was actually a little surprised about how poor he was as a tester because on film, I didn't necessarily see that. I felt like he did have a solid anchor. Like I think he'll be a solid starter in the NFL. Yeah. Is that what you want, like you said, at pick 25? And that's where it comes down to the positional value type of thing. How do you value running backs? How do you value centers? How do you value these linebackers even? Which I would say after watching the 2022 Giants, you should value freaking linebackers. And I think 
Yeah. No, I get you. No, I get it. But I think Okereke is really going to shore up what the Giants can do at the second level. That doesn't mean that the Giants should be like, yo, Jack Campbell, let's get you at 25 when you can go and pick 100s and get maybe like Dorian Williams out of Tulane or another linebacker like that who is going to slide in and be a substantial upgrade over whoever the hell the Giants threw out there last year. Tay Crowder, Austin <laughs> Calitro, like it was gross, bro. <laughs> And that's why that's the whole value. That's why the draft to me is so inter interesting and entertaining and fun to try to break down and figure out because it's a, a player like John Michael Schmitz. I'd love them to get him at 57. And at the same time, I'd hate them to get him at 25. So it's just such a, it's only 25, 20, whatever, 30 pick difference. But to me, it's like the world almost. And same thing goes for those linebackers. Like I'll never advocate. And I did once with Simmons because I thought Simmons could be a different kind of NFL player and like a game changer, which I think I'm just wrong about. Um, even though he does carry, he did carry some vertical routes pretty interestingly last year when I watched him in some clips, some cutups, but that's neither here or there. If I'm ever going to invest in a first round linebacker from this point on, I need Luke Keekley at type upside. That's where I'm at now with linebacker too, because otherwise I'll just go with the Bengals approach or the 49ers approach where they're filling out some of the best linebackers in the NFL in rounds three and four. We knew it too, man. With Logan Wilson, we were yeah, all we knew that. with Fred Warner too, dating all the way back. We weren't doing the pod, but I put out, you guys can check my Twitter. I was in love with Fred yeah. Warner at that BJ Hill pick. And it's just some guys, you just know those types, but either way, none of them are, are requiring, that was a third round pick. None of them are requiring top 25 picks. And I think the same goes for center. If there's a Frank Ragnow who enters the draft, sign me up. I'm in on Frank Ragnow, right? Or Travis Frederick, like sign me up. And Fred, someone pointed out to me like, oh, Frederick had really best, bad RAS scores. And I'm like, yeah, but dude, you watched Frederick in college and he didn't look to me like John Michael Schmitz. He was dominating in college. John Michael <laughs> Schmitz was good in college. He wasn't dominating good. in college at all. Minnesota didn't have a dominant run game. Minnesota Minnesota didn't have any running back like this is not like a dominant center in my mind by any means it's not how dare you yeah, besmirch ahead. mo ibrahim like that yeah i know he's actually an interesting prospect but he's not yeah, I love you know, that wasn't a team where when you played minnesota you were worried about their run game so i don't know with fred with the badgers during the frederick years you were certainly worried about that run game it was one it was unbelievably good um who was it was it monty ball as the running back when he was uh, there the frederick years were i think that was just after ball no it was it might have been ball for the Frederick years. I think it I, was ball. And I don't think he did. He get Melvin Gordon. Like maybe he got Taylor. Melvin Gordon too. I think. I think yeah. Okay. Got Melvin Gordon. That's why I was thinking of Melvin and Monty because Monty was there when I was in school. I think Frederick was a little after, but I'm not sure if that's the case, but either way I needed to make that, that case. And we talked about John Feliciano moving on. Thought that was interesting. Now let's get to some other big news that we didn't hit which is Julian Love signing with the Seattle Seahawks on a two-year, $12 million deal. The really interesting part of this one, to me at least, was that according to Dan Duggan, the Giants offered him a bigger contract in season. Drew Rosenhaus's agent turned it down. They wanted to test the market. They did test the market. They got the two-year, $12 million offer from Seattle, came back to the Giants, said, here's our offer. And the Giants said, no, thank you. That's very interesting. I don't even think I saw that little nugget there. Yeah, the Giants refused to match. So I'm wondering what the Giants what the Giants gave him initially in season. The Giants, I mean, they gave Saquon Barkley reportedly 12 and a half, 13. Saquon, I would imagine, and maybe he would have to swallow some pride for this, would sign up for that right now with the way the running back market is looking. But I don't think the Giants should offer that to him again because the running back market has just spiraled downwards since midseason, since that Houston game. But Julian Love, I mean, hey, best of luck, two for 12. I, I thought he would get a little bit more than that on the open market. So... Hey, I think um, we're going to miss aspects of his game. But like we've said on this podcast, like you said, and I do think you are correct. He's not elite at any one thing, but I do believe he is good at everything. And I think that's such a valuable thing to have in, in really any defense, but specifically a defense is middle of the field close that will go into cover four. Sometimes we'll go into deep half, which is a little bit more of an easier responsibility to handle, like, you know, cover two type of looks, but he can do middle of the field close, you know, single high, but he's also an alley guy plays in the box apex. He can play corner. He does a lot of different things for you. So I think he will be missed, but I'm expecting the giants to find some way to replace him. And I guess that's going to have to happen in the draft. It's going to have to happen in the draft. Maybe there's also just like center. There's some kind of veteran free agent. They can, yeah. they can plug and play, but I think it's more likely they find a veteran free agent at center than it is safety because I think safety, they're looking for specific guys to fit that system. And I think maybe they like what they saw from Pinnock more than we thought, or even Belton, even though he didn't play down the stretch, maybe they feel like year two, he knows the system better. He's more comfortable there. As far as love goes, um, 
I felt our only difference on love is that I felt like he did everything adequately, not everything good. I think that's where our biggest yeah. disconnect is. And I would say that you're probably more likely to be right than I am because you have a much better eye for film than I do. Obviously, anyone who's listening to the podcast knows that there's no there's no there's no discussion or surprise there. I learned most of what I've learned in film from Nick and other people that I followed and tried to, like, pick up Thanks, on man. stuff from. But I would trust your eye way more than mine. Um but the Giants obviously, you know, have a different opinion on what was happening. So for me, I'm excited and happy that he turned down that offer in season because this offseason would have looked a lot different if they already had love on the books. They probably couldn't have gotten Waller. They probably couldn't have done a lot of the things they did. Maybe Slayton goes instead of Waller. I don't know. I don't know how big that contract was. We know it's more than two years, 12 million. And to me, love is the most replaceable of any of the guys that they've lost. Besides maybe Feliciano, who is obviously replaceable, but only a one year deal. I think that's fair. I know he can handle a lot of different responsibilities. I know right. his football intelligence is something that I think is is something that maybe is not discussed enough. He knows where to be, when to be there, how to react to what the offense is doing, how to adjust off audibles. I feel like he handled himself well after Xavier McKinney suffered that injury and you have all of this, you know, just cycling in these rookies and these young players. And I felt like he had to assume a different responsibility, which was a burden on his shoulders. The safety market, if you look at it right now. There's not a lot of people going out there just signing safeties. Jesse Bates got like a solid deal from the Falcons, right? But yep. the market's pretty depleted, similar to some of those other position groups that we were just going over. Yeah, the NFL in general, I mean, this free agency was really interesting. There were not, like, remember, like, back in really every year in my life, there was mega contracts right away that were signed. This year it didn't happen. Even there were some crazy contracts in the second wave that didn't happen. So things are changing on that front. I think teams are getting a lot smarter with, you know, their realization that this has to be done through the draft. You can try to do this through free agency as best as you can, but the better way to do it is the way the giants are doing this thing right now. I think oh, I'm forgetting now the listener of the podcast described how the ideal way to play free agency so perfectly in a reply to me like oh, two weeks ago. And it was just so perfect. And like the essential, I'm not going to remember it, so I'm going to botch it, but the essential core of his theory and thesis about free agency is never go for the big free agent signings. Never go for like the top of the market guys that are like 100 million, 40 million guaranteed because those that's how you kill your franchise. And it really does feel like that. And the NFL starting to realize that as well. So we'll see what happens there. Love will be a loss. Though. Like you said, he's extremely high football IQ. He played multiple roles in the defense. We could start to see communication breakdowns that we never saw last year, which will be bad if that happens. But yeah. I'm just holding out hope that they can figure out somebody in the draft. Because like you said a while ago, which was a great point you made that kind of went over, I don't want to say over my head or over any of our heads, but like we didn't really, it was like mostly, not that you said it in passing, but like, I feel like it hasn't been discussed a lot was Joe Shane himself said he had, feels like this is a pretty deep safety class in the draft. And that was really interesting. Yeah. Cause that runs counter to like what I hear from people that I, I trust who have gone <laughs> over through the, I'm about to dive into the safety class. So I'll report back to you on that dude. Yeah. But like uh, that does run counter and he, he kind of just maybe threw it in there. Cause he didn't want, you know, he's just like, Oh, I'm going to say good things about the free agent class i'll also just throw the draft in there also it could be leverage piece for some i, I don't really know but yeah the, the, the interesting true. thing though that I, I just wanted to bring this up before we transition so julian love and we talk about the safety market and how it's not as robust as maybe some expected what does that mean next year for xavier mckinney because i do think the giants are going to look to resign xavier mckinney but what does xavier mckinney want because you look at derwin james is making the most money right now at 19 mil minka fitzpatrick right beneath them you can argue and you can make the argument that the Minka Fitzpatrick's and a healthy Derwin James, those are top safeties that you want to pay and you want to retain. I don't think Xavier McKinney is quite at that level yet. I think he possibly can get there. I think the potential is there. But then you look at Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams, he makes 17 and a half. Jamal Adams, to me, is not a 17 and a half million dollar player, right? So. Right. I don't know. And I think Xavier McKinney is a much better player than Jamal Adams. I think he can do a lot more for you. But I just find it uh, interesting that the Giants might re-sign somebody to one of those position groups that Joe Shane might not think too highly of in terms of value. But I don't see them allowing him to walk out the door either. It's a really interesting case because ceiling-wise, he can maybe get to that level of the top two guys you mentioned. But right now, he's certainly not at that level and does not deserve to be paid at that level. Um, also... I know for a fact the Giants like him because even after his incident, he came back and was a captain and he was a leader of that team and he broke yeah. down the team in the playoff game. They've made mention of his leadership. I think it really stands true that he is the leader of that defense right now. 
with that said, especially since now they're replacing their Mike linebacker, not that Jalen Smith was that leader anyway, but typically you might see it from a Mike or a safety. With that said, I think it's very likely they do resign him. It'll be very interesting to see what that structure is. And it depends so much on the season and what kind of year he can have. I think working in the Giants favor maybe is the fact that he plays in this Wink Martindale defense, because I don't think that's a good thing for his contract negotiations because in the, in the last defense, I almost said Perry fuel. I don't know why I was thinking that the last Patrick Graham, Graham defense, he had a lot more chances at interceptions. I felt like, and he made a lot of interceptions in this defense. He's more, you'll see him more times around the line of scrimmage or matched up against a tight end because they need him to match up against a tight end. And that makes it a little bit more difficult for him. He didn't even play the deep half as much as I maybe expected him to, because I think they found him more valuable in other roles. Um, and now he's playing more of like kind of what he did at Bama, where he was like really a full, uh, you know, split three ways between the box matching up against a slot tight or a tight end and then the deep half. So that could hurt him too in negotiations. Cause I think the numbers like the interception stuff does kind of impact your, your, your contract negotiations. I think you're right. And remember, Dan, what he did to TJ Hawkinson down the stretch of the wild card. I mean, TJ Hawkinson was torching the Giants, torching the Giants. And then, all right, let's let's put Xavier McKinney man up on TJ. And he did a pretty damn good job. And remember what happened on the last play of that game when he came up with a tackle on a pass that was well short of the first down marker on fourth down. Yep. All right, let's get to a couple minor notes and then the big one that we're going to wrap up on. The big one we're going to wrap up on is the Giants defensive line situation with a couple interesting nuggets there. But a couple things first, Leonard Johnson, corner out of Duke, who missed last season with an injury, signed a three-year deal with the Giants. We don't know the numbers on that. I would expect very little guaranteed. People see the number. Oh, my God, it's three years. Well, let's just see, because there might not be a lot of guaranteed money. That might be a structure that's team-friendly if he does hit. Any thoughts on Leonard Johnson? I don't know much about him. I don't know a ton about him. I, I saw some of his past breakups and interceptions from from his um his senior season at Duke. And a lot of them were in the flat. Seemed like he played a lot of cover too and just did a really good job kind of reading what the quarterback's intentions were and then breaking, clicking, and closing on routes that were in front of him and just being patient against smash concepts. So maybe there's that element of his game. Still got to watch a little bit of film on him. Maybe hopefully get a piece up on Big Blue View on that. I'll have to wait and see what happens there. But I just like the fact that they're identifying players that they like. This is a player who was injured last year. He doesn't have extensive injury history beyond this. He was productive at Duke. He went to Duke. So he's probably a smart individual as well. So I'm just going to trust this coaching staff for identifying talent and bringing them on because they have a track record of doing that at a, at a pretty solid rate. I should say this front office, maybe a little bit more than the coaching staff, but I'm sure they're in communication with each other. That's a great point, Nick. Just something to think about why should you maybe be excited as fans about the signing. Look at what they did, like Nick said, with Fabian Moreau, with Nick McLeod, with guys who were not, you know, cast-offs from other teams, and they ended up productive for the Giants. Like you said, they identified the talent, and the coaching staff put them in the right position. Same could be the case for Leonard Johnson. Time will tell, but that gets me a little bit excited. Also, the Giants restructured Darren Waller's contract. Uh, the new terms are eight point or nine point eight three five million of his twenty twenty three base salary is converted to a signing bonus that's spread over the four years left of his contract. That move creates seven point eight six million in cap space now, which they needed to make all these. Even after that move, Nick, Giants currently, at least according to Pat Trainer, who I think just put this on Twitter recently, have only around like four million in, in in cap space, which is not a lot when you consider that they also have to sign their entire draft class with extra picks this year, which is almost that much. So. If the Giants want to make any more moves in free agency, they're going to have to likely do one of two things. They're going to have to restructure Leonard Williams, or they're going to have to convert more of Darren Waller's contract into a signing bonus, which again, this move, the 9.835 that's spread out over four years, that means the Giants can actually get out of it next year if he's injured or something like that. But I'm fine with that because I think the Giants are committed to him long-term. I don't think they believe this is an injury-prone player, even though that's the narrative. Again, no major injuries, no major surgeries, just some nagging ones. So to me, I kind of agree with the Giants on this gamble. But I know a lot of fans disagree. A lot of fans believe in the injury-prone moniker. Remember, everyone thought Evan Ingram was injury-prone. Now he's had two straight years of no injuries. Frank Gore was injury-prone, quote-unquote, earlier in his career. Then he had like seven years of no injuries. I don't believe in injury-prone. Personally, I've made that clear. Except when it's a lower body injury that reoccurs over and over. If it's three ACLs, if it's two MCLs, if it's five MCLs and an ACL, stuff like that, now I start to think you might be injury-prone. Darren Waller's had some hamstring injuries, some ankle injuries, no surgeries, not worried about that. But to create cap space to maybe make the signing we're going to talk about next, they're probably going to have to restructure him more, Darren Waller, or, or I'm sorry, Leonard Williams, or come to that long-term agreement with Saquon Barkley that frees up cap space for this year. Just some things to keep in mind as we get to the next point, which is the Giants are apparently interested 
And defensive lineman Ashawn Robinson, former first-round pick, played with the Rams. And he came in for a visit on Monday. Lauren, uh, license plate guy, fan. Uh, I think he's a fan of the show. I don't know. I follow him on Twitter. He follows me. We talk sometimes. Claimed it was a done deal, but it didn't actually turn out to be a done deal yet. Uh, obviously, you know, there's probably some things going on with the contract that are that are making that a little more difficult. But I think it's interesting the Giants are showing interest in Robinson, especially after rushing to free agency to sign uh, nu- uh, Nunez Rochez. It's definitely interesting. It says it could say one of two things or possibly both or a combination. So first, Giants run defense sucked last year, and the Giants are very serious in improving that. Ashawn Robinson, though, he he can be a starter. Like he's like Nacho, yeah. he, he could be a starter too, but you know, he's more of a situational guy. You're not gonna have him out there on third down. Ashawn Robinson isn't gonna add like pass rushing to your to your team either. But he is somebody who can play nose, can play one, can play three, can really do anything you need him to do. He's a sound run defender. He's a mountain of a man that's hard to move. I think it would be excellent to have him, Leonard Williams, Nacho, and Dexter Lawrence as uh, in in some sort of rotation up front. I think that'd be great. But the kind of elephant in the room, Dan, Leonard Williams' contract. So what is going on with Leonard Williams' contract? Can Joe Shane in this front office figure out a way to renegotiate, bring that number down, extend him, do something? Or is Leonard Williams going to play hardball? Are the Giants in a position to part ways with Leonard Williams? I don't think they're going to do that. Maybe they have to at some point. But I did find it interesting, and I think all four of those guys could coexist. But if the Giants were debating on moving on from Leonard Williams, bringing in a guy like Ashawn Robinson to replace him, makes sense. Yeah, it would make sense if that's what they were thinking of doing. I tend to agree with you that I think more likely this is a play at kind of trying to do what honestly Dave Gettleman brought up in the past. One thing I agreed with him on, which is, I mean, I didn't agree with the ways of going about it, which he did, but you need a defensive line rotation, especially deep into the playoffs, into the Super Bowl. The Eagles made that clear. The Chiefs are also another another pretty good example of that they had a pretty solid defensive line rotation going there, especially with the players they drafted in Karloftis and all those defensive tackles they had rolling in there, in and out there, including one who now obviously, um, you know, or sorry, yeah, my bad, take that out. No, it's okay. I actually have his numbers too. Yeah. Post June is, I mean, you get 18. And you sit and you only get the dead cap of 14. It's still kind of a lot, but yeah, I don't think they would do post June though. Um, Cause then they have so much next year. All right. I'll get back into it. Do you want to say that I was going to just get into those numbers too, just cause they're on the dock, but you can, uh, yeah. okay. No, you can get it. Yeah. Uh, where was that? Okay. That the defensive line rotation again is very important. So I, I think look, Asian Robinson deserves to be a starter in the NFL. So it's interesting. But I don't think that the NFL views this as like you need to have two set starters and that's it. A rotation that mostly features those three and then, uh, you know, obviously Nacho as well, who they made a case to sign. It's still a good rotation to have, especially because, you know, you can put Nacho at defensive end potentially in some fronts and he can help play the run. And someone like Ashawn Robinson could immediately help them win now. But I don't think that Leonard Williams is actually a good candidate to actually be cut though I know a lot of fans are discussing it for a multitude of reasons. The starter, the first and most important reason for me is his cap hit is 32 million this year. That includes 20 million, 20.2 million in dead cap. So essentially, if you cut Leonard Williams now, you would save 12 million, but you'd be paying 20 million for him to not be on the roster. That is not worth it for a multitude of reasons. Now you can make a make that a post-June one cap hit, but now you free up more cap space for this year, which you don't even need because free agency is basically over. I mean, you would need it to help sign like an Ashawn Robinson, but that's about it. You don't need that much cap space. And then they'd have dead cap next year on Leonard Williams. Also, in addition to that, Nick, everything the Giants did this offseason screams, screams. What did we talk about earlier? The Giants spent more money in free agency than any team in the NFL. It screams we're trying to win now. If you're trying to win now, saving $12 million in cap space with a $20 million cap hit and getting rid of Leonard Williams is not a good way to win now. He's going into his age 29 season. He played injured all last year. If he's healthy, he could be a dominant player for all we know next year, playing next to this new rejuvenated Dexter Lawrence. We still haven't seen a fully healthy Leonard Williams next to this new version of Dexter Lawrence. That could be amazing. We don't know what that could be like with Leonard Williams if he's fully healthy, playing next to now a phenomenal, arguably best defensive tackle besides Aaron Donald in the NFL. 29 years old, to me, it seems much more likely that if they sign Ashawn Robinson, they'll extend Leonard Williams, lower his cap it for this year, 
and push that cap hit back into 2024, 2025. Right now, he's only under contract through 2024, but he's also only 29 years old going into his 29, 29 season. So you, it's a D tackle. You can, these guys can play into 33 and be fine. So I think they should extend Williams. I think they will if they sign Ashawn Robinson. I think they should extend Leonard Williams, even if they don't sign yeah. Sean Robinson. I think having those four on a rotation would just significantly help this Giants defense. And I don't even know who the other linebacker is going to be. Maybe it will be Gerard Davis, who the Giants brought back to play along with Bobby Okereke. But to have that type of defensive front, it's going to force teams to do something similar to what they did last year run outside but with Ashawn robinson and and nacho and leonard williams and dexter lawrence as those four eye shades as those five techniques which the giants don't really run a lot of five technique type fronts but say with uh in base i should say those four eyes it's going to be even more difficult to block those guys down those rushing lanes on those power gap concepts that murdered the giants last year will be much more narrow so i would love for the giants to add robinson i would love for the giants to retain leonard williams but what if Leonard Williams camp does play hardballs? Like we're not going to lower anything. We don't want to restructure. We're going to do this. And that puts Joe Shane into a weird spot. If he is a post June cut, which I'm not saying this is going to happen. I'm just kind of putting this out there. It's uh, 18 million savings. So the Giants get 18 million in cap space and it'll be 14 million dead cap, which would really take effect next year. I don't know if Joe Shane wants to do that. Joe Shane has made it a um, made it a, a very known thing that he doesn't want to damage his 2024 cap health. And we saw a similar type of thing with Kenny Galladay recently, right? So I don't know if they'd go in that direction, but I do think if Leonard Williams plays hardball, there might be some conversations in the building to where that will be entertained. Yeah, it's interesting because we know that that contract hasn't been restructured yet. There's a reason for that, likely because of what you said. In order to restructure and extend that contract, you have to agree to a certain number that he's worth per year moving forward. He already agreed to this massive number under Dave Kettleman. So now you're asking him to take a whole different number, a low number compared way, a really low number compared to what Dave Kettleman said he was worth. That's a tough ask for Leonard Williams. It really is. And that's why, obviously, a lot of us said when you traded for Leonard Williams and his impending free agent season, it wasn't just that you gave up a third round pick and the rookie contract comes along with it. You gave up all the leverage and contract extension talks with Leonard Williams. And so Dave Gettleman signed him to this insane deal. Now he has a $32 million cap it for 2023, third most of any non-quarterback. I mean, this is what happens when you got bad GMs in there. Thankfully, we don't have that anymore. But now it makes it a tough ask because you're going to ask this guy to take a lot less money per year. And what are you telling him? We don't think you're worth it anymore. You you signed that deal with us two years ago. Now you're signing this deal with us. And so that's probably where the contracts have stalled or the contract this talks have stalled. Honestly, the Leonard Williams contract has been just like a cascading effect of depression. And it's not because Leonard Williams is a bad football player, but the way it was structured was, hey, let's only have you make Leonard Williams $9.4 million against 2021 cap because we want to go out and improve the roster in the now. So we're going to go out and give $72 million to Kenny Galladay. And we just saw how that just imploded. And now we're facing the fact that that's contract was structured that way back then in 2021 because he's counting 32 million dollars against the cap now that we're actually a good football team so just cascading effects of depression yeah and that's why maybe you know joe shane looks at it and says i just want to get out of this contract i don't even want to restructure i don't want to extend this is just something that was from the old regime i like him but i know i'm going to resign dexter lawrence anyway i don't want to allocate 50 million or 55 plus million to defensive tackle position i'll get out of this i'll sign Ashawn robinson I'll sign uh, Nacho and I'll draft someone. And that may be why there is more credence to the Giants potentially getting rid of Leonard Williams. But I still just don't see it possible when I look at 20 million in dead cap just to save 12 million in cap space that they're going to get if they just either push more of that Waller contract back or just come to a long term agreement with Saquon Barkley. So it's just the juice isn't worth the squeeze to me. There's just too much dead cap still remaining on this contract. I'm wondering if they would entertain extending kicking some more years over to a Dory Jackson, which is something they did last year. Would yeah. you do that again? Is that smart to do that after the injury this past year? It's that's just another name that like he fits the bill of somebody who could be eligible for that. But I don't know if that's the most prudent course of action. Yeah. And it goes back to what we were talking about before, right? It's like, do I believe in injury prone? Do I not believe in injury prone? <laughs> well, Dory Jackson has been injured every year, but one in his career. Was he not injured in 2021 with the Giants, or did he even get injured that year? No, 2021. I mean, he had like COVID, and I think he had like a thigh injury. Where he, 
I don't know if he played all 16, but I think he had COVID and missed a game and then he had like a thigh injury, but like it was very brief miss. Okay. Yeah. But I don't know. That may be if he missed a game. I don't know if he's played a full 16 game season his whole career then. Um, not, not positive on that, but yeah, it makes it tougher to extend money there. It, it's an interesting spot they're in. They still have holdovers from the, from the Gettleman error from a contract standpoint. We'll see what happens there, but that's all we have for today. The big blue banter podcast. Great to be back here talking giants football with you guys. Thank you so much. If you do want to help support the show, I, for, I, I keep forgetting, but I want to start mentioning this at the top of the podcast. Please help us grow this page. We see a lot of you in the comments, and thank you, by the way, for this, saying, wow, this page should have a lot more subscribers. What's going on? This is the best Giants content. Well, we agree, but we don't know how to do that. Well, we agree. That sounds super conceited and cocky, <laughs> but I should just say thank you for that. I'm not saying we agree, but I am saying we need your help to try to do that. Tell your friends about it. Make sure you subscribe if you don't already. Click that alert button so you get alerts on this video. Whenever you watch a video, make sure you hit the like button. That's like the key that I'm learning with YouTube now. I'm starting to dig into YouTube because obviously for my main job with CBS, I do a lot of analytics and different things to try to maximize our content over there. And one of the things with YouTube is you got to hit like. So if you're watching this video right now and you haven't already done it, click that like button. It costs nothing, but it really helps us. We We typically seem to get like only a sixth between a fifth and a sixth of the views are also likes. So we'll get like 600 likes and 5,000 views. So that doesn't help us at all. We really need you guys to hit that like button there. Uh, also, please make sure you subscribe to the podcast and you have it on auto download. We only get paid for downloads. So to grow the show, we need download help there. Find that on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes as well. Leave us a rating or review, but most importantly, download. All right, that's it. See you later. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.